Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Well, good morning, Quest. It's great to be back up here again, sharing God's word with you. If you're not familiar with me, I came to Quest 10 years ago with my son, Nate, during one of the worst times of my life. Um, And I found a place where I could really call home. And we were both baptized here within a few months of coming to Quest. And then shortly after that, I met my husband, Greg, who is not here today. Um, So he can't mute me, although Tom could probably do that on his behalf. But um, he is not here today because he's in Florida because my parents decided that it was time for them to move to Florida. This summer, they bought a house sight unseen, brand new house. I know, and they finally got to see it this week. And so he's down there down there helping them unload and move in and do all that great stuff because he's a great son-in-law. So uh, he's not here, but he's here with me in spirit. Um, Anyways, we're part of a great community here at Quest, and I'm just really privileged to be up here today. Our essential question today is, are you willing to take the risk to live God's calling on your life? Now, for me as a researcher, this yes-no type of question is not one that I find typically favorable because it doesn't really get very meaty or very deep. But this question is kind of one of those exceptions to the rule. It's heavy with implications and meaning. Chip Ingram, as many of you have studied a lot of his work, he might rephrase this question as, are you all in? Have you surrendered your life? Now, we are continuing with our series called Coached by the Greats, acknowledging that there are many greats in the Bible, but only one true hero, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greats of the Bible are just like us. They're flawed, they're sinful, and they're struggling in their faith journey. Doesn't that make you feel better about yourself? Like, we could be like any of them because they were just like us. Today, we're going to take a really deep look at Moses and find out what coaching tips Moses has for us to help us strengthen our game and to help us with our walk of faith. So I'd like to give credit to the resources I used when I was pulling this together. Um, Steve Blair, Chris Hodge, Chip Ingram, and Rick Izzell. So let's start with a little Moses humor, and I will give credit to Rob Hall for this one. So if you don't know Rob, he's got quite a sense of humor. And this was a Facebook post from two weeks ago that I had to figure out how to save the picture because I was like, oh, I was in the middle of studying for this. I needed to get this up here. So if you haven't figured it out yet, Moses is in the light blue over there. and He's a little prankster in this too, but who knows what he was really like. I bet you he had a really fun side to him. But seriously, um, let's go back to Hebrews, which... If you're not familiar with like the paper version of the Bible, I always find that sometimes I get lazy when I look at my app and I look at my phone and I just click on, oh, Hebrews, whatever. And in my mind, I might be thinking Hebrews is Old Testament because like that's like when we talk about the Hebrews. But did you know Hebrews is not the Old Testament, right? Hebrews is in the New Testament. So it's actually after you find all the letters of Paul, then you find the book of Hebrews and they talk about the Old Testament and they talk about the Hebrews but it's actually written in the New Testament around 70, at least before 70 AD. Um, a lot of the historians and theologians have tried to place where it was. So our core series verse comes from the New Testament, even though we're going to be talking about the Old Testament. So it's from 12.1, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Moses being one of them. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Some core components of this verse are to throw things off that hold us behind and to be faithful to what God calls us to do. Today we're going to learn from Moses, one of the many and the greats of the cloud of witnesses, how to do both of these things. Now think, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life? And maybe you have many that come to mind. Maybe it's a goal you wanted to attain and you almost gave up. A situation in life where you wanted to quit. God says that you've got a race to run and that you need to get rid of some things in order to be as effective as God wants you to be. When you think of those things you have attained where you didn't give up, you probably had to make sacrifices along the way. You probably had to change your game plan up many times to get to that destiny. And that's really what we're talking about. What are the things that need to change in order for you to really take the risk to serve God's calling on your life? So if Moses were running the race with us, here's the coaching tip that I think he might give us. Abandon safe and live by faith. And try not to reverse those, because that would just be wrong. Say it with me. Abandon, safe, and live by faith. Before we unpack this coaching tip, I'm going to take you into my world of leadership coaching and introduce you to a framework that I use regularly to help people visualize what we're talking about. The framework is called the zones of safety. And to prepare to learn this framework, I want you all just to think about what are some things you do in your daily life? Jot down, make some mental notes of some things you do in your daily life. Some of those examples might be driving to work, ironing my clothes, taking a shower, packing the kids' lunch if you have kids at home. I actually kind of miss that. Sometimes I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich just to make myself feel better. And you're not there to eat it, Nate. Come on. Um, But what do you do on a daily basis? Would it be fair to say that most of those things that I identified are pretty comfortable for you to do? They don't really cause you to think much. You can actually probably make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without, you do, without thinking, oh, where did I put that bread? You know where the bread's at. You just start doing it. Or you hop in your car and you're on automatic drive. And some, how many of you have made the wrong turn because you weren't going, you know, you're going somewhere different, but automatically you go that same way all the time and you miss your turn? Yeah. Okay, so you've been in this place, and let's call that... Actually, this one's not dark enough. Try this one. Let's call that the comfort zone. Okay. So we're in the comfort zone when our brains aren't really functioning. We just automatically do things. When you have a really large comfort zone, all that means is that you have a lot of experiences. So kind of the older we get and the more things that we do, the larger our comfort zone gets. Having a big comfort zone is not a bad thing at all. Staying and living in that comfort zone is what we're really going to address today. In education, which is my field, um, living in the comfort zone is probably where many people are when they're just doing their lesson plans. Sometimes they just grade papers absentmindedly. Um, We're not really strategically thinking. We're just kind of doing. Um, Now I want you to take it a step further. I want you to think about some examples in your life and when your brain is really engaged. It's something new you're experiencing. You can actually identify that learning curve that you're on. 
where you have to think about every little move you make, every step you take. You're being very strategic and aligned. Um, would it be fair to say that all of those things sometimes make your brain really, really tired and you're exhausted at the end of a day in which you're trying a whole bunch of new things? It could be you're trying a new software program and it's really stressing you out because things are just not flowing smoothly and you're having to learn where all the new nuances are. Or you're preparing a new recipe and there's like all these new ingredients and you're not really sure how they're going to interact chemically. Um, in education, I see this happen when we're doing new strategic planning processes, introducing new instructional strategies to teachers, working on a new program, um, and sometimes we just get bogged down there. But uh, really what happens in that place is that we're learners. And I want to call that our risk zone. Okay. So here's our risk zone. The risk zone is a place where change can only occur. Change is not going to occur when you're in your comfort zone. Change is only going to occur when you're in your risk zone. I want you to think about this. The only place where we have a teachable spirit, where God can come and reveal truth to us, is in the risk zone. Lastly, I want you to think about a place in which things might be a little bit unpredictable for you. Um, maybe it's a situation that you're in or maybe an environment when you're in where things are just very unstable. You might have a difficult time identifying this right now. And if so, praise the Lord, PTL, because that means things are going pretty well for you. But if it comes to mind and maybe several come to mind, then maybe right now would be a good time for some prayer for people to pray for you and minister to you. At the micro level, some examples might be you get in conflict regularly with a parent whose child is on your soccer team, and you just don't know how to handle that, and then you're trying to solve that on your own. At the macro level, it might be an unhealthy relationship or an illness that's really um, posing challenges to your life, and it's making every single thing that you do more difficult. Educators regularly step into that unpredictable zone when they're a first-year teacher, and everything is new to them or when they have to interface with some parents, or when they commit to work in a high-needs school. Let's refer to this state of being as our danger zone. Now, the goal here really is to maximize the risk zone as much as possible. Right now, where do you think you are most of the time? Do you spend most of your time in the comfort zone, in the risk zone, or in the danger zone. In the comfort zone is a good place to be, but we don't want to stay there too long. We want to minimize the comfort zone, we want to minimize the danger zone, and we want to maximize the risk zone. Moses is asking us to step into the risk zone. He's encouraging us to abandon safe, which is this comfort zone, and to live by faith. So let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Whatever your Bible looks like is fine. We also have it up here on the screen. Now, earlier in the book of Exodus, prior to chapter 3, we learn about Moses' birth, his rescue in the river, his upbringing as part of Pharaoh's family, his killing of an Egyptian who had been fighting with a Hebrew slave, and Moses' family and life as a shepherd in Midian. As we enter into Exodus chapter 3, Moses is approximately 80 years old. So his whole life is basically, you know, from birth to 80 in Exodus chapter 2. So if you want to go back, you can 
learn more about his earlier life. So let's start with chapter or verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, both Horeb and Sinai can be used interchangeably. We probably hear Mount Sinai a little bit more often, but they're the same mountain. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Now, many theologians believe that the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus revealing himself before he came to earth as a man. Moses saw that through the bush was on, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. In the desert, it wasn't really significant that the bush was burning. Bushes burned all the time. But what was significant is that the bush didn't burn up. So that's why Moses was intrigued. How many of you would like go toward the bush? Raise your hand. Any of you want to go away from the bush? Or would you just kind of stay where you are, mesmerized, trying to figure out that bush? I think I'd just stand there and I'd wait. (laughs) But so Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. Moses, Moses. I think it's interesting that because he went over to the bush, God called to him. Did you see that in verse 4? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, that's when he called to him. So what if he was like a lot of us that wouldn't have gone over or that would have just stayed and watched? Okay, that's really playing it safe, staying in our comfort zone. Moses didn't. He stepped out. He went to the bush. And because he did, the Lord called to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Again, I'm thinking, Now the bush is talking to me. I think I would probably leave, but not Moses. No, he stayed put. Do not come any closer, God said. I'm like, all right, that's good. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And taking off the sandals demonstrated humility and honor. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying and because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Pause for a moment and think about the implications of that. Don't allow the enemy to encourage you to think that God does not care about what you're going through. Your God cares about your suffering. God cared about the suffering of his people. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And just on a side note, that Pharaoh is a different Pharaoh than the Pharaoh whose house he was raised in because that Pharaoh had died prior to this. So now you know, he's 80 years old, and this is a different Pharaoh who's now king of Egypt. Moses finds himself with a problem staring him in the face. Moses is now again facing the same call on his life that God put there years ago. But because of his past failures, Moses ran away from his call years earlier. He is now getting the same call 40 years later to again be the deliverer of God's people. He tried once and he failed already. The calling of God is without repentance on us. 
You can run, but you cannot hide. Maybe today you're not willing to step into that call, but he's going to keep tracking you down over and over. Maybe you'll have a burning bush experience that will bring you to your knees where you will really finally surrender. That call is always going to be there, and you can't ignore it forever. Now, Moses now is at a crossroad of his life again. What's he going to do? So what is the advice that he gave us that he's going to do? He's going to, say it with me, abandon safe and live by faith. So why would we abandon safe? So point number one is that we're trapped in the past if you stay in the safe zone. Let's go back to our framework. When we're in the comfort or safe zone, we are not learning or growing. The only things we do are things we've already done in the past. Now, many of us are trapped in our past. The enemy has convinced us that because of something from our past, we can't fulfill our calling. So you stop trying and you give up. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to be in the past anymore because Jesus came to break that chain that's holding us back. Scars are not alive. They are just marks of where we've got, what we've gone through in our lives and where we've been. We are told to let go of the past in the book of Isaiah. So let me just share this passage from Isaiah chapter 43 with you. And again, this is the Lord speaking. The Lord is saying, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. That's a command. When I look at it from an English teacher perspective, it's not a request. It's not a question. It's not a... Maybe you should try to forget the past. It's telling us, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. You do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness, the streams in the wasteland. Now, God is doing new things right here, right now. And we need to let go of the past. Remember, Moses killed an Egyptian. And they, his people, hated him for it. But they didn't have, that didn't have to be who he was the rest of his life. Whatever the enemy has tried to do to enslave you, I want you to know that you can be free in Jesus' name. I'm going to say that one more time. You can be free in Jesus' name. And if this was a different type of church, you might all say, Amen. Okay. <laughs> the Holy Spirit bolt cutters are here to break you and separate you from your past and whatever is holding you back. We all have a call of God on our life, but some of us have a hard time identifying what that is. Maybe many of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder what that is. What, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, I need to spend some time trying to figure that out. Well, I've got two suggestions for you. The first is to identify your God-given passion. And here's a fill-in-the-blank for you. When I do this, I feel his pleasure. What is it that when you do it, you just know that God is smiling and that God's happy with you and that you are doing something good? And there's just this sense in you that there's something bigger than you that's coming out of it. Now, if that doesn't work for you to help you figure it out, the second way is to identify what Chip Ingram and Bill Hybels call your holy discontent. Now, your holy discontent is really what causes you to break your heart. It breaks what I see, whatever. It breaks my heart. It makes me want to do something about it. Now, for those of you who love animals and you've seen that commercial that Sarah Lofton starts singing, 
oh my gosh, I have to turn it off. I can't handle it. Like sad puppy dog and kitty eyes are just bad. Maybe that's what breaks your heart. Maybe it's, you know, it doesn't have to be with people. I mean, it could be you want to save animals. It could be something that you see an abuse or you see broken relationships and you want to bring healing to them. Whatever it is that breaks your heart, you can use that to drive your calling. Sin keeps us trapped in the past. If the enemy can't keep us trapped in the past, he's going to try to get us satisfied with today. That's point number two. This is not the same as contentment because the Bible says contentment is a really good thing. The danger of satisfaction, though, is that we get complacent. God did not call us to settle. There is no drive or passion to push us when we are stagnant. When we obey the calling of God on our lives, fueling it with our holy discontent, we change, we grow, and we are never satisfied. To learn who God is requires us to change. Moses had two opportunities to be complacent. Probably more, but two that I can, I can find. First, living in Pharaoh's house was a pretty sweet deal. I mean, there might have been a tendency to say, I like this. But he didn't. He stepped out of his comfort zone and went into the desert to be with his people because of the holy discontent he felt when he witnessed Hebrew against Hebrew fighting as a result of their oppression. So he went to fight against oppression. My prayer for you is that there is something inside of you that is always just a little bit discontent with where you are. Not discontent with God, but discontent with seeing people being abused or seeing kids not have a home or people struggling to learn. Like we have the 29-7 project here, which is reaching out to kids who are struggling learning to read or people being hungry. And you know, the Westerville Area Resource Ministry is a great outreach that we support here. We can't allow poverty to determine a child's future. We have to do something about this. We each need a holy discontent and communally we need as a church body a holy discontent. Are you satisfied with your marriage or do you want your relationship to continue to grow and strengthen? Are you satisfied with your family or do you want it to become stronger? What is God doing in you? Do you have a holy discontent? If not, then safe will keep you satisfied with today. For many of us, the past has been dealt with at least to some degree. And if the enemy can't keep us trapped in the past, and he can't keep us satisfied with today, well, he might try this third way, which would be to keep us afraid of tomorrow or what tomorrow holds. Something God has for you is bigger than your capacity. Say that again. Something God has for you is bigger than your capacity. Chip Ingram calls this our holy ambition, something you can only do with God's help. A holy ambition can be described as being the person God made us to be while doing what he made us to do within the environment he has prepared for us to accomplish it. It's another way of describing our calling. Sometimes our calling is so big that we can't do it without God's help. And our fear of failure keeps us from stepping into that risk zone. We are afraid of tomorrow, of what might happen instead of trusting in the providence of the Lord. Moses, at this point in his life, when God called him from the burning bush, he was thinking, well, God, I've tried this before. 
to deliver your people? Like, do you remember? And like, it did not work. Uh, Don't you understand? They're not going to listen to me. They will make a mockery out of me. That's not a safe place for me to be out there. He wants to just stay right here, tending to his sheep in Midian, doing what he has been doing, and just be in this place of satisfaction in his life. Stagnant, not learning. Our fear of failure keeps us from stepping into the risk zone. Moses had to abandon safe. And if it wasn't for that burning bush and that confrontation of God, he might not have done that. Remember in Exodus 4.13, Moses asked the Lord to please send someone else to do this. If you've ever said this, raise your hand. Have you ever, like, said, I don't want to do this? Come on, people. I know that there are things you're facing that you said you don't want to do. But guess what? You're in good company. Why? Guess who else said that? Jesus. Remember? The Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? Okay? Even though Jesus asked to be exempt from the pain and the suffering, he puts obedience first. He steps in the risk zone. And he says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Safe is a place that will keep us from stepping out to where God wants us to be. In order to live life fully in obedience to God, you have to take a few risks. For many of us, this is very difficult. We are comfort creatures and don't consider ourselves adventurous. So don't miss God's calling on your life. The enemy wants to keep you afraid of what tomorrow looks like. God's calling you to do something and safe will keep you from taking that step. Tomorrow holds what today holds in that God is in it. The Bible says in order to abandon safe, we are to live by faith. Now, remember, Hebrews 11.1 defines faith as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now that we understand the importance of abandoning safe, let's take a quick look at what it means to live by faith. Now, last week, if you were here, Ross spent much of his message exploring the concept of living by faith. And of course, if you're part of the body here at Quest, we are friends with faith. So faith is really important to us. Um, If you missed last week's message and you want to go back to it, you can go to the Quest website or to iTunes and listen to that. But here are the three things that Moses might tell us about how to live by faith. The first point is that in order to live by faith, we have to recognize that God is already at work in you. I always think of Ephesians 2.10 because God has already laid out the good work that I am to do here. And that just reminds me of this. God is not surprised by today. Nobody in this room right now is here by accident. And it's not a casual circumstance that you're here. And Schaefer's, I'm really sorry that you're here because the grandma and grandpa thing is... Taking this time, isn't it? Yes. They need to be in New York City, but the baby won't come. So, so there's, there's, it's not an accident that the baby's late. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why you're here. In Hebrews 11.23, we learn that by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. See, Moses' parents are just like you and I, uh, just like these soon-to-be grandparents that we think our child or grandchild is super special. Um, And they were not afraid of the king's king's edict, and they stepped into the risk zone, and they trusted the Lord, not with something little, like trying a new prayer or going to a small group. They tried a big thing, and they trusted the Lord with their child's life. 
I mean, that's a huge step into the risk zone. So let's go back to the beginning of Moses really quick and do a quick, uh, do a little recap. We find his story, remember Exodus chapter 2. Moses was born in about 1500 BC to a Hebrew family. And at the time, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. Um, and they were slaves to the Egyptians and lived in Egypt. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was aware of the increasing population of the Hebrew people. And he was a little afraid. He didn't like the idea that they could have more people than we, the Egyptians, and they could have a revolt. So he ordered that all male children that were born were to be killed. Actually, they were to be drowned in the river. Uh, So that is why Moses' parents hid him for those three months. By faith to get him strong enough to survive the plan that they had put together. And, you know, they crafted a basket that was watertight, and they placed their child after three months in that basket and sent him down the Nile River in hopes that an Egyptian family would find him, take pity on him, and raise him, and that he wouldn't have to be killed. Of course, we know that Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him as part of the royal family. So if you're going to live by faith, you have to believe that God is already at work. He is in the past, he's in the present, he's in the future. I love that song, that Alpha Omega song that we used to sing. He is the beginning and the end. He is supernatural, and he's already at work in each one of us. What's really cool is that God can't go with us because he's infinite, and he's already there, and Moses' parents knew that God was already at work in their child. Um, And their job as his parents was to let him go by faith and to trust that God would protect them. So point number two for living by faith is to refuse to be defined by anything but God. This is one of the hardest things, I think, that we, especially here in our Western culture, are challenged with. If we're we're going to live by faith, we have to not let anything define us except our Lord and Savior. So let's take a look together at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. And there's three points in here that talk about by faith. The first in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refused to be defined. Really think about this. How hard would it be to have been raised, educated, disciplined, enculturated in a family from three months old to 18, like your whole growing up life, and to not let that define who you are. I mean, as parents, isn't that what we're trying to do with our kids? We're trying to help them identify themselves as children of God, be part of a community of faith, you know, listen when I speak to you. I mean, all the things that you want to set them up. And here, they're trying to raise him the same way, but he, how he was wired, how he was built, did not let that define who he was. Verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He identified everything in that lifestyle as a pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What do you mean? Moses was like way long before Christ, 1500 BC. That's like 1500 years. But remember, the faith all throughout the Old Testament was based on the promise of the gospel, the promise of God to initiate relationship with us. All the people of the Old Testament are waiting for God to initiate relationship, the promise of God to save them, the promise of God to make them a blessing so that they could bless others. We are on the other side of that historically, and we are the ones that get to receive that blessing. 
verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Moses showed us that faith and God's view of us and God's pursuing love and promise fulfilled perfectly in Jesus is where we are to get our identity. God in whose image we are created is the only one who can define us. So anytime you're tempted to see yourself through something of this world, stop yourself. For Jesus, they said he was a carpenter's son and he can't do anything. For Moses, the world said, oh, he's a lucky spoiled one who really isn't a Hebrew. Come on. He is a murderer. He was the once great leader who is now only good for watching a few sheep. And for Noah, they said, he is losing his mind. For David, the world said, who does he think he is to take on a giant? He is just a little shepherd. The question today is, what is the label you're wearing that is trying to define who you are? You need to be defined by the living God. And refuse any label the world is going to put on you and accept the label that God has put on you. Now, all of the greats of the Bible that were just mentioned were actually in the risk zone. They stepped out of that safe place and honored God's call on their life, despite of what the other world, the rest of the world was saying about them. That is how we can define them as greats of the Bible. Now, on a little side note, how many of you have a Twitter account? Anyone have a Twitter account? You tweet every, you know, at least you have an account. Maybe you don't tweet. Maybe you, you like stalk on your, you learn from Twitter. Put it that way in a nice way. Now, for those of you who don't have one, a Twitter account asks for you to set up a personal bio. It's 160 characters or less, not words, characters. And spaces count in 160 characters. Um, according to the Twitter Help Center, your Twitter, bio, your Twitter bio is a short personal description that appears in your profile that serves to characterize your persona on Twitter. Now, I find it interesting to see how many people define themselves on Twitter, what they lead with, what they actually have. And I know Twitter accounts are for different purposes. Mine's for professional purposes. So here is an example of, well, here's what mine is. So this is how I define myself on Twitter, in my professional setting. Now, I stepped out of the risk zone a little bit, and I included that I was a disciple of Christ and a mom and a wife. You don't usually see things like that professionally where you put anything like that. Well, I challenge you. Why not? Try it. I don't have it in the beginning. I probably should. That would be my next... You know, there's different degrees of being in the risk zone. You know you can be here, and then you can be like here. So... I'm working my way through it. Now, if I was not saved by Jesus Christ and I didn't know him as my Lord and Savior, I might have a different image of myself. So an internal description of how I felt about myself without a Savior might look like this if I let sin define me. I tried reading it out loud first service and I started to cry, so I'm not going to do that. But it's pretty yucky. And some of us put those labels on us. This is how we see ourselves or how we define ourselves by the sins in our lives. And basically the last one is being unworthy. Now, what might be our description of ourselves if we let God be the author of our description? 
So I tried my hand at this, and if I embrace God's definition of me, this is how he, I hope, sees me, according to everything I've read and learned. I believe in this. And I am child of the one true king, loved, saved, and reconciled with the creator, adored for my strengths and my weaknesses, and I'm continuously drawing closer, and I'm beloved. Some of you in this room today wear a label that defines you by your sin, by something from your past or your present, by a family history. Today, we're going to take those labels off in the name of Jesus, and we're going to put on a label that says we are the child of the king. His name is written on your heart, and that's from Revelation. It's not your past. It's how he sees you. Take a moment, and I'm actually going to pause for a close to a minute, and I want you to construct a Twitter bio that God would write about you. What would be some descriptions or words he would use to define you? Not by your past or your present, but by how God sees you. So take a moment right now and write down a few things. Now, as you're finishing up, I want to share with you how God might define the greats of the Bible. For Moses, God might say he was a leader of my beloved people who took them to the promised land. For Noah, God might say he trusted and obeyed my call on his life. He was worthy of regenerating my people. For David, God might say he stepped up to the challenge to defend my people. He loved and adored me like no one else. For Jesus, God might say... He is my child, my son, who always put my will before his own and sacrificed himself so that my people could be in authentic relationship with me. Now, I hope you see yourself as someone worthy of God's definition of you. That's one of the reasons why we need a savior, so that we can stop defining ourselves through this fallen world and start defining ourselves through the lens of a creator, of our creator. Now, the last piece of advice Moses would say to us in order to live by faith would be that it does impact others around you. There is something you are called to do that is going to change the history and the eternity of somebody else. Let me say it again. There is something you are called to do that is going to change the history and the eternity of someone else. Keep in mind that God is working on your behalf. How would Moses have known the great impact of what his obedience did, stepping into the risk zone? How did he know that he would have such a great impact on his people or even on us here today? He had no way of knowing because just like us, he had the limitation of time. Now, God has no limitations. He is limitless. He sees eternity. He knows that what we do today has an impact in the future. When Moses was obedient to God's call, his people put the blood on the doors and he saved a generation, the Passover. When Moses was obedient and stepped into the risk zone, the seas parted and he saved God's people. My question to you, going back to our essential question earlier, is are you willing to take the risk to live God's call on your life? Some of you are standing here today waiting for the sea to part and your enemy is closing in on you. Maybe you're in a place facing life-altering illness, the loss of a job, the all-consuming temptation of an addiction, financial burdens, or a broken relationship. Perhaps you are in a place where you have built a wall around your comfort zone to protect you from the outside world because you just don't want to change. You're looking for some dry ground to take a step on, and 
I'm asking you to step out on faith today. You've got to abandon safe and live by faith. But what if the ground doesn't show up when you take that step into the risk zone? Well, maybe God will help you walk on water. Whenever we are unable to step into the risk zone on our own, we need to take comfort in knowing that Jesus has provided us with help. The Holy Spirit is with each of us to help us take that step. Isn't that comforting to know the Holy Spirit is living inside of you right now? And he's going to help you take that step. I invite you now to listen for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you relate to staying in the comfort zone, in the, risk, in the, in the safety zone, where is God speaking to you right now to take a risk? If you are in the risk zone and you're still not seeing the promise, let the Holy Spirit come to you with encouragement and direction. Listen to him. God is delighted in your risk. And if you're in the danger zone, let him come to you with comfort right now. I'm sure Moses felt like he was in the danger zone on more than one occasion. Threats from Pharaoh when he and his people were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. I'm thinking that's pretty much a danger zone for him. When Jesus was in the danger zone, he turned toward God, crying out, and God carried him. Jesus is the better version of Moses not just declaring the law and what obedience is, but fulfilling it for us and empowering us with the Holy Spirit and removing the danger of the punishment if we, that we no longer deserve. I mean, what is behind each of our danger zones in our life? Isn't it the fear of catastrophe, the fear of failure, the fear of embarrassment, ridicule, loss of reputation and stature? God took Moses and not only taught him to risk, but taught him to trust in the danger zones so that he and his people of Israel could become safe in his hands. Jesus is the perfection of everything. He delivered us from our slavery, that we were slaves to sin, and our fear of rejection, and our loss of status and humiliation. He has delivered us completely. If you feel like you're in the danger zone in some areas of your life, please get prayer. I ask that you raise your hand or tap someone next to you and let someone else here minister to you to help you feel that comfort and to be able to step out of that danger zone back into the risk zone and allow yourself to really be used by God. Let us help you turn to God like Jesus did. You've got to abandon safe and live by faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that those who are looking over the edge, looking at something very scary to them, that they are reminded that you, the creator, the father, the great I am, is with you, is with them. You never leave us or forsake us. You love us in spite of our past, in spite of our present. And you give us time and time again to take the chance to step out into that risk zone. Give us the courage. Speak to our hearts. And let us know that you are with us. Bring to life clarity on what our next step is. Amen. Now today, I was in the risk zone. I stepped out. And something else I did, gosh, Friday I really put myself in the risk zone. I emailed a whole bunch of people from work to tell them I was doing this. And Carol's here and someone from first service was here. I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to get fired? No. But um, I encourage you today, take that step into the risk zone and seek what God's calling is on your life. If you don't know the Lord personally, I 
invite you to open up your heart to him today. And just to confirm that, I am actually going to pray the prayer of salvation. And I would love for all of us to just bow our heads and you can just repeat after me um, as a recommitment to your surrendering to your life to the Lord. And if it's new and it's the first time you're praying it, just join in. And I ask also, if this is your first time praying this prayer, that you come to the back and there will be prayer ministers waiting for you. And they will pray for you because you took that big step into the risk zone today. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, today I surrender to you. I invite you to come into my life and take me from safe to faith. Please come into my life and take me from safe to faith. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need your help. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need your help. So God, come and live in me. Come and live in me. I am your child and we're going to walk together. I am your child and we're going to walk together. Amen. Now let's give the Lord a hand for that one. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.